SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, talking some CUSA stuff for you guys today with uh, a member of the El Paso media. Excited to jump into it with him, uh, Mr. Adrian Broadus. He is a, a sports reporter and on-air host on uh, 600 ESPN El Paso, one of the hosts of Minor Talk. Highly recommend that program. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Adrian Broadus. Uh, Adrian, great to have you on the show today, sir. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this and talk some Utah football today with you guys. <laughs> awesome. I know we're excited to have you. Uh, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with our uh, usual underdog audience. Once again, Eric, uh, I know we're excited to talk uh, Utah football on a program that's uh, seeing a little bit of a bounce back after last year. No doubt about it, Joe. I know I'm especially fired up. I've been a little high on the uh, UTEP miners, so to speak, especially over the past year, you really saw what, what I felt was just, you know, the, the, the seeds being planted as far as the resurgence there. But, you know, Dana Dimmel entering, I believe it's year four of the other rebuild, if memory serves me correct. Uh, I think minor fans and uh, probably CUSA fans alike are, are definitely going to want to see some progression in terms of the win column in terms of a quote unquote formidable competition. Um, so that'll be interested to, uh, to watch and definitely want to you know talk to Adrian about and see uh, what's in store for UTEP football 2021. Awesome. Uh, Eric, you want to go ahead and kick it off with uh, some questions for our guest here? Absolutely. So Adrian, I want to start with the hometown hero, Dion Hankins. For the broader conference USA audience who may not know, you know, Dion Hankins is a native of El Paso and I believe set the city rushing record for most yards by a uh, high school athlete there, rushing yards. And, you know, former three-star recruit, redshirted year ago then you know really emerged on the scene 121 carries for 492 yards and nine scores and that of course was in a truncated season i believe he missed a game as well if memory serves me correct uh just uh, tell us a little bit about Deion hankins and you know am, am i is it reasonable of me to think that he can make that sincere mccormick-esque jump into the upper echelon of cusa running backs in 2021 well, I, whenever you say the name Dion Hankins, I immediately smile because, you know, I've been covering Dion Hankins here in El Paso since he was probably, you know, 15, 16 years old running the rock at, uh, at Parkland High School here in the northeast of El Paso. He is, he is a down-to-earth guy, has a great family, comes from an unbelievable background, and that's why you wanted him to stay when it, when it came to his recruiting. And I remember us being on the radio, Steve and my, myself here on Sports Talk, um, when the news came that Dion was committing to UTEP and how excited the fans were about getting somebody like him. And in the first year, it was a little bit of, you know, just kind of adjusting to the college football speed I, I think that he needed to understand what it truly meant to um, really play at the college football level at the division one level and um, after a concussion it, it was pretty much it for him in year one so next uh, this past season his redshirt freshman year he emerged onto the scene in a big way and he did it with Quadres Wadley who is the presumed number one running back for this group uh, going out and opting out of the season so Dion Hankins assumes the starting running back position after beating out Josh Fields, who's been here for a while, after beating out Ronald Awad. And not only does he take that starting position, but he runs away with it. Not, I mean, 592 yards from scrimmage, nine touchdowns last year. But one of the biggest thing is 
that I love about Deion Hankins is the way that he's able to burrow through, uh, you know, and bulldoze through defenders. I mean, there was one specific play against um, uh, last year against Louisiana Monroe, I believe. And he, what he ended up doing is he bulldozed the guy, trucked the guy into the end zone when he scored and the guy got up and he actually, you know, threw up. He was, he was hit so hard by Dion Hankins that he actually threw up on the field. And it's one of uh, the favorite stories that the team likes to talk about. Most nicest guy you'll ever meet. Very quiet. But yes, I believe that Dion Hankins' ceiling is very high with this group. And running back again is uh, the best group on this team, the deepest position group on UTEP's football roster. Adrian, you mentioned a name there in Quadres Wadley that I, I actually kind of had here in my notes to talk about. He was a guy who, when I did a top 50 players in Conference USA series, I believe it was two years ago, entering the 2019 season. He was, uh, remember, sure, I'm correct, I want to say he was number 50 or 49 on my list because I thought his numbers really warranted it. I mean, when you look at his, his production in his last full year, I believe he had 627 yards rushing. I think that was the 2018 season, if memory serves me correct. 2019, I know he believe uh, had uh, torn ACL or um, an injury that kept him out for the entirety of, of 2019 and 2020, only playing a handful of games and chose to opt out. Uh, a, what is his status? Is he returning for 2021? And B, if so, um, that probably has to give, you know, the miners one of the top one, two punches in all of CUSA fair. Very fair. And his status is he's a go for the upcoming season. He wants to play as a UTEP minor this year. And look, Eric, I, I mean, one of the big things that we all know when we cover college football is don't take anything out of a spring game that maybe is a little too much or, you know, just you take all of the spring games with context, but my biggest takeaway from this past year's spring game is that Quadres Wadley is back in action for the minors. He rushed for 66 rushing yards in that spring game, had a touchdown as well. It was kind of his welcome back party after opting out of the 2020 season. A lot of people around the program thought that he would transfer away from the program, uh, but he elected to come back. He wants to be uh, a big contributor to this run game. Dave Warner, the new um, offensive coordinator for this minor program, he likes to run the ball. And he even mentioned that he wants to be a run-oriented team. So if you look at Quadres Wadley in the backfield, you look at Deion Hankins, and you also throw in Ronald Awat in the mix, I like the Miners running back group in a really big way. And they also have a nice up-and-comer in Willie Eldridge. So the running back group for the Miners right now is deep. I don't know how much we can expect out of Quadres Wadley simply because he's been injury-plagued year after year, which is super unfortunate for him because, like you said, he had so much upside. In the 2018-19 season, a lot of people thought he could be one of the best running backs, if not the best, in Conference USA. He just hasn't been able to live up to that right now because of all the injuries he's sustained. So want to keep it up with the offense here. I think one of the biggest questions, is, I mean, certainly if you look at the numbers with the quarterback position and, you know, we can go over the Kyle Loxley era and we know the passing numbers weren't necessarily uh, stellar uh, with his tenure there, but certainly, a, you know, a phenomenal dual threat player and is pursuing his own pro dreams. But Gavin Hardison, uh, someone who comes in very lightly recruited. I mean, even when you go back, I, I think it's New Mexico Military Institute or something that that effect that yep. is equally out of high. There we go. All right. Hit that one on the nail on the head there. Right. You know, you guys, I'm, I'm paying attention out there. But uh, long story short, <laughs> Gavin Hardison, not the, you know, the. Uh, most highly touted name in, of all of CUSA quarterbacks. But if you look at his numbers, uh, uh, 1,419 yards, five touchdowns, five interceptions, 
rather pedestrian, but I had a chance to watch, you know, a handful of UTEP games, um, you know, with FIU having their, some of their games canceled or, you know, postponed due to COVID. And I felt that there were plays there to be made. When you look at the receivers there and Justin Garrett and Jacob Cowing, both those guys seem to be decent conference USA receivers and big play targets. So how much pressure is there entering 2021 on Gavin Hardison? You know what, and I'll start it off by this. I think that you have to t- you have to understand where UTEP has been off season after off season. Every off season, I write a story about a UTEP quarterback battle, and it and it kind of frustrates me every year because I'm wondering when will UTEP finally have that consistency or even continuity at the quarterback position? When will they finally have that? For the first time since UTEP had Jameel Showers over the course of the 2013 and 14 seasons, they don't have a debate on who will be the quarterback this year. And, and yeah, there is some, you know, there is going to be more eyeballs on redshirt sophomore Gavin Hardison. But he was UTEP's certified starter last year. He won the job in the offseason over TJ Goodwin, who left the program, ended up going to Juco route and wants to be a D1 bounce back this year. I thought TJ Goodwin was great, but when Gavin Hardison, um, you know, emerged onto the scene last year, there were some obvious things that stood out to me that you didn't see from previous quarterbacks. You never saw Kyle Loxley throw downfield like Gavin Hardison did. You never saw uh, even guys like, you know, Zach Greenlee or Ryan Metz uh, have the ability to, you know, locate receivers and throw downfield the way that Hardison's able to. I, I know that he has some things that he really needs to improve on. I think that's what this offseason was really about for him and, and becoming, you know, taking that next step, becoming the better quarterback because he's got two elite receivers and Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett. Uh, Cowing is, you know, he's unbelievable at the receiver position. I loved what he was able to do this past year. If Gavin Hardison also is able to put together some kind of, you know, dual threat abilities on his side, like this coaching staff suggests and and throw it and implement it into a game. I think that's how he takes that next step and becomes an even better quarterback. Got two more for you. And then I'm going to pass it off to Joe to continue the line of questioning. I am going to, even though I I mocked Joe, bring the listeners in. uh, (laughs) I mocked Joe off air about his pronunciation of a last name. And I'm going to give this one a shot. And just by that leading of the question, Adrian, I'm sure you know who it is. How good is praise (laughs) Amawule? Did I get that right? So close, so close. And you know what, Eric? It's funny because we all here in El Paso, we called him praise Amahuli for two years. I mean, we called him that for two years. And then one time I was interviewing him just a one-on-one here on Sports Talk. And, you know, I was saying, hey, praise, you know, this is how you say your name, correct? And he said, actually, it's Amahule. So praise Amahule, tremendous, uh, tremendous length. I know where you're going with this one. Love him off the edge. Love the fact that he's got great length and athleticism to him, uh, a solid edge rusher for this group. One other name to keep in mind on the defensive line is Kelton Moss, who uh, is a junior, and I I just loved what he did this past year. I think UTEP's defensive line has the potential to be great and one of the best in Conference USA, and they'll be held to that standard. Keenan Stewart's back. They've got junior Jadrian Taylor. He's completing the defensive line as a pass rusher as well, but they also have other guys like Josh Ortega, Jalen Rudolph, Michael Ike. They've got some really nice players, um, you know, on their defensive line. And I think Praise Zamehuli will be uh, – no, there, there you go. Praise Zamehuli will be the, the guy who anchors that defensive line. 
you know, in some of the conversations I have in Conference USA circles, whether it's other beat writers or just people who follow the league really well, one of the things they they say about him when I kind of bring his name up and I and I'm optimistic about his play is that hey, you know, someone has to get the numbers on a bad team, right? And I don't think that's necessarily a fair critique, especially on the defensive end and uh, on the no pun intended, the defensive end. You look at his numbers of the past two years. Uh, total 12 and a half tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks. So certainly seems to have that potential to be one of the um, next premier pass rushers in Conference USA. But here's the, the last one I'm going to hit you with before I pass it off to Joe. Just want to ask you, uh, we like to have a little bit of fun on the podcast and, you know, kind of ask our, our guests a, a bit of fun question. Obviously, FIU was set to take on UTEP this past year. Did not make the the trip due to all the circumstances surrounding COVID. And I was depressed because the Sun Bowl, is uh, I think that's on everyone's college football bucket list of places to visit as a stadium. Uh, for me, El Paso as a city as a whole. I mean, I, I know I'm hitting with a two-part question, but can you just kind of, uh, for those who may have you know never been to either venue, the Sun Bowl or El Paso, just kind of set the scene for you know how special that venue is and, and how special of a city El Paso is. Sure, I mean I've. I've been here my whole life, uh, 24 years here in El Paso. And when I went, uh, I, I remember, you know, as a kid growing up and going to the Sun Bowl, you, you sit on these bleachers that, and, and the Sun Bowl for people who don't know um, where it's actually physically located at, it's, you know, right in the heart of, of uh, the west side of El Paso, kind of closer to the downtown area. Uh, but it is literally inside uh, mountains. I mean, you walk inside and to your right, you see mountains. The, the entire view that you get, you see the, the city of Juarez, Mexico, right next to us, which is the bordering town here uh, that we that we see here out of, out of Mexico. And when you see the entire El Paso skyline on the left, I mean, it's beautiful. It, it's a beautiful stadium where you, you just kind of feel like um, the rich tradition that UTEP has had this entire time. I mean, the campus has been here uh, for over a century here in El Paso, and uh, that Sun Bowl is beautiful. The, the renovations they've done to it have also been tremendous. They've added new luxury seats up top and uh, premium seating that looks really nice and special. But the city of El Paso is great. I mean, best, best Mexican food that you'll ever get in the world. Uh, the nicest people you'll ever meet. Everybody welcomes you, especially if you're uh, coming in as a traveler or just coming to visit for the first time. This city is awesome. We got to get you down here. We got to we got to see that next time uh, Florida International takes on UTEP. We got to get you out here to El Paso so you could try some of the great Mexican food and and uh, leave with a lot of special memories with all the people that you meet. No doubt about it, Joe. You know we always find a way to bring it back to food on this show. And one of the things, and you know, obviously living here in Florida and spending a lot of time in South Florida, you get that sense of the, you know, kind of Latin cuisine and uh, going to grad school in Chicago. I've had what I would like to think is good Mexican food, but I, I want the authentic fare. So that was one of the reasons I was looking forward to, uh, uh, along with other members of the uh, FIU communication staff. I know we all were uh, pretty fired up about the chance, to, you know, get some good eats, but until next time, it'll have to wait. Do you like spicy Absolutely, food? Are yeah. you are you a spicy food fan? Bring it on. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Eric, when we get the chance to go to El Paso to cover a game, we will mess up some Mexican food. Trust me on that one. Um, Adrian, uh, going back to the Sun Bowl renovations there, um, talk about the improvements to the press box specifically, and I imagine you have to be pretty excited about that. 
Oh yeah, I'm definitely excited. Um, you know, personal note, we we spent this past year in the pandemic uh, going into the press box that was being renovated, and there was no AC. You know, you you had the windows open. It was it felt real old school. Felt like I was covering a, a high school football game at times, but haven't been able to see the new press box. Um, you know, renovations in person just yet. But I have seen the photos. Looks unbelievable. Looks state of the art. And this is something that UTEP needed for a while now and I, I think this is perfect because they can now turn their focus to other improvements at the Sun Bowl like renovating the locker rooms I mean renovating uh, little parts of the Larry K Durham Center where they have their uh, you know their weight room and all, all of that kind of stuff but they really needed the premium seatings and um, you know athletic director Jim Center was talking about selling out those premium seatings which includes um, you know areas inside that press box so very excited about that and uh I'm excited to finally get into that press box when, when that AC is working and uh, feeling good in, in, you know, late September when it's scorching hot still here in El Paso. Yeah, I can't imagine that's uh, too fun of an experience not having AC in El Paso in September. Uh, but Adrian, not many people would uh, say three and five is a market improvement for their team, uh, but that's arguably what it was for uh, the miners last season, uh, even with all the COVID cancellations. Uh, what's kind of the feeling around the program after the improvement that, that, that the team showed last season? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the overall feel, at least from an outside perspective, like we've been talking on the show about this a lot, it's holding this program accountable this upcoming season. I mean, you you could argue that some of the, the games, especially because of what, the, what UTEP had to deal with playing all their games on the road, no one wanting to come here to El Paso to close out the season due to the COVID-19 numbers that we saw here locally due to, you know, just the restrictions that we saw across the board. Um, with COVID-19, it's kind of like, okay, we understand everything like everything happened in 2020 the way it did. It is what it is. But now it's it's this whole city. It's the, the fan base. It's the media. It's everybody around the UTEP program holding this team accountable for 2021. They have a very easy schedule to start things off. I mean, they're going on the road against NMSU, who didn't play, you know, their rivals and, and didn't play uh, a season this past year. They just had a couple games in the FCS uh, against some FCS schools here in the spring. Uh, they take on Bethune-Cookman out of the FCS ring as their first home game. Okay, you go on the road against Boise. I'll chalk that as a potential loss right there, but you're at home to close out non-conference play against New Mexico, who was also very up and down last year, very media, actually very, very subpar last year. And um, I think UTEP should definitely be three and one. They will definitely be held to that standard. And then their first uh, Conference USA game at home is Old Dominion, who was the only team at a Conference USA who opted out of last year. So UTEP has the potential to start off four and one. They should start off four and one. And I think a lot of people will hold them accountable this year. And mainly that falls on the head coach and Dana Dimmel, five and 27 over the past three years that he's been here. Not many of those five wins have come against Division One opponents. In fact, you know, you look at Rice, that first win that they had to break a 20-game losing streak that stretched back to the previous head coach Sean Kugler's time. That was that was an accomplishment. But I mean, you only get one win out of the 2018 uh, that that season, and then the following season, their only win came against Houston Baptist. I mean, it, it was a very, it, it's been a very very tough couple of years as uh, as you know, um, you're 
trying to look at this program and trying to see real improvement. I do agree that three and five was a, a nice start, but I think all eyes are on 2021. I think this team needs to show that they can win at at least six games this year to prove that they are, you know, uh, on the right track and making that kind of improvement. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So this off season, the program kind of took, you know, two steps forward, one step back with the uh, NCAA level two violations uh, from the past couple weeks here. Uh, basically for those that uh, aren't familiar with the situation, uh, Miners had too many coaches at practice, so they got slapped with some uh, some penalties there. Adrian, any more details to share there as far as what went down and penalties for the program? No, you know, I, I we were trying to dig through it to understand what really happened. Seems like um, this was something that was reported um, by somebody. It seems like, you know, these let's be honest, it's a quality control coach that shouldn't have been on the field was in a couple practices and, and name uh, specifically some photos that were shot at practice. So that's probably how people saw the proof. Hey, why is this coach here at practice? You took a photo of him and that's kind of the issue right there. But, you know, it goes back to who reported it, what happened and that kind of thing. Was it malicious? You know, it, it was kind of, that's a, that's at least, um, you know, how you kind of look at things like this. And, and when you look at the rule really with uh, the, uh, you know, the quality assistant, you know, the quality coaches being at, at these practices, I feel like these are made for way bigger programs like in Alabama, the Alabamas and Texases of the world where you, you want to hold these schools accountable and not have them gain that competitive advantage. But what is UTEP gaining after, after just, you know, having some of their quality control assistance on the field for practice? With that all being said, I mean, if you're head coach Dana Dimmel, you have to be aware of these kinds of things. You have to make sure that none of this uh, gets, you know, if you, you you can't let this happen to your program, especially when you're five and 27 over the past uh, three years, you have to, you know, keep a clean slate. And I, I think that it's just kind of disappointing that, you know, it all happened the way it did. Yeah, for sure. And certainly wouldn't be the first time that a, a quality control coach at any program got a little overly ambitious. Um, but speaking of, of coaching, um, you mentioned the uh, new offensive coordinator hire in Dave Warner. And uh, the Miners also brought in a new defensive coordinator in uh, Dale Pevito this offseason. Uh, what are you most excited about there with those two additions? Well, I, I think it's just kind of interesting, right? Because the the whole you know, conversation around the program afterward was they were championing. We had a good year. We, we liked three and five. We see the improvement. We're on the right track. And then after the season's over, they fire both their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. So what, what was that improvement right there? I mean, what, what can you see growing after that? Was that something to kind of, you know, switch coaches and maybe find new coaches who can maybe win quicker than some of these other ones, but you fire Mike Canales as the offensive coordinator who had deep relationships with these players. You, you fire Mike Cox, who goes back to the uh, defensive coaching days with uh, Dana Dimmel back at Kansas state. So two guys you had significant ties with, and you bring in Dave Warner from Michigan state who uh, let's be honest. I mean, Michigan state's offense wasn't anything to be super excited about over the time that Warner was there. However, I'd like to, approach here at UTEP so far. I like the fact that he's trying to mentor uh, Gavin Hardison as a quarterback and trying to still, in, uh, you know, emphasize the run game that this team can really have and all the potential it really has. Uh, Bradley Dale Pivido, uh, somebody who can recruit in the state of Texas at the defensive position, I mean, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, um, 
very, very impressed with him so far. I love the fact that he's going with the four-man front, which has been something that UTEP just needs to keep in almost its Bible. Like, you know, they're, they're things of thing, uh, of, of, you know, ch- kind of like a defensive checklist. You have to have a four-man front if you play at UTEP simply because you have so many undersized defensive linemen. Going a three-man front never really works, and I, I like the fact that he's implementing that right off the bat. I, I like both the coaches' attitudes so far. They've had, um, you know, a, a great approach so far to the season, and, I, you know, word around practice, word around the program is that, you know, they're really good and and uh, building those relationships with these players so far. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how they develop. Um, but, you know, in your opinion, was uh, it sounds like you kind of disagree with the overall steps that they took to replace the coaches from last year. Is that fair to say? I just don't agree with the approach. I mean, how do you say that you improved and fire your two of, you know, your two main coaches. I, I don't agree with the approach that they really went through. I, I think that I understand that you need to improve something, right? I mean, you're three and five, you haven't had a winning season in forever. You really need to, to improve at some degree, but I just don't agree with the approach the way that they had it. I would, I would wish that, you know, the program said, no, we weren't satisfied with how we finished this season and we're coming back next year to prove everybody wrong or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, another uh, staying in the vein of improvements, rather um, talking about the 2021 signing class for UTEP. I think one of the guys that um, folks are most excited about there is quarterback Kevin Hurley, six uh, four, two thirty guy out of uh, Walnut, Mississippi, and Northeast Miss Community college um and then in my opinion one of the best names in cusa right now and mr shavis uh first name mr last name shavis uh wide receiver out of maricopa arizona uh but just talk about the 2021 signing class a little bit and what's got you excited out of that group i like the two names you mentioned for sure and kevin hurley and mr chavis um i'm going to mention a couple different names i got a really good chance to talk to jacoby longino the quarterback out of missouri texas this guy has an unbelievable approach to the game i mean he's a left-handed quarterback dual threat guy out of missouri city didn't really win at the high school level but if you look at his numbers and you look at what he was able to do just to, alone as a quarterback himself man, this guy is a do-it-all guy, and, and he understands the system. He's committed to the long-term process and learning under quarterback Gavin Hardison. I think Jacoby Longino could be kind of that sneaky guy to rise among the quarterback depth chart. I think, um, you know, you look at the obvious addition of Walter Neal at the cornerback position, grad transfer from Kansas State. He's somebody you can insert right away at the starting cornerback position. He'll battle against Josh Caldwell for that final spot. Um, Tyron Smith was somebody who really impressed me at a Cisco College 510 wide out and he impressed me at the spring game because they, they used him a lot frankly you know and uh, I think that he could be an immediate impact to this wide receiver group they need a third guy uh, behind uh, of course Jake, Jacob Cowing and Justin Garrett and I think he could maybe contend for that position uh, Gerard Joseph a 6'5 defensive end out of Houston man this guy has he, he looks great when you watch him move. I mean, this guy could also be somebody that this already deep defensive line throws in the mix at some points just to see what he could do. And if he impresses early on, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play as a true freshman. Yeah. You know, last question I have for you here, but um, one of the things that I'll, 
had people excited when Dimmel was hired was his connections within the JUCO community and his ability to recruit just in general. Um, when you look at this 2021 signing class, do you think this is the best example of that ability so far for him? I think this is uh, an example right here of UTEP trying to finally get over the blue shirt, gray shirt things that they've been doing year after year. And, and what this really means is UTEP every year they try to blue shirt a ton of guys, so they don't really have a, as many scholarships to use the following year. So if you look at UTEP's class, it's really small. I mean, it's a, it's a small class this year. You have a mixed bag of guys who, you're right, come from the JUCO ranks. You're trying to get the best guys out of JUCO. You're trying to also get some high school guys that you could develop in the system. And maybe, you know, one or two guys who could come in as a transfer and maybe be an immediate impact like Walter Neal from Kansas State. But I, I think this was a product of UTEP just so fed up with the blue shirts that they've been giving year after year and wanting to kind of catch up Next year's class, according to Dana Dimmel, will be the first class where they can sign almost, you know, 20, almost 20 scholarship guys, which is something UTEP hasn't been able to do since the, the Sean Kugler time and, and that, that kind of era. So Dana Dimmel will finally kind of catch up with uh, by not using as many blue shirts this past year. Gotcha. Appreciate that insight, Eric. I know you had uh, one more question here. Yeah, for our listeners, I apologize. Typically, you know, this is usually where Joe ends the show and we kind of do this seamlessly, but something Adrian said caught my attention. I do want to follow up with one last uh, question here. Adrian, I, I remember this quote from earlier in the offseason from UTEP Director of Athletics, Jim Center, and I'm going to read it verbatim. It says, I didn't feel like we're there for football, and I told Coach Dimmel that. The there that he's referring to is offering Dana Dimmel a contract extension. The reason I am, you know, kind of breaking our protocol and asking this follow-up question after Joe is because when you talked about the changes at offensive and defensive coordinator, I, I viewed them the same way that you and Joe kind of talked about, right? Which is on one hand, the three wins are progress, but on the other hand, are they really progress if you're dismissing both coordinators and then, you know, hearing your tone about the, the move just kind of piqued my interest. So I'm going to ask it to you point blank and, you know, I, I'm sorry for putting in this position because I know uh, when I'm on the other end of things, I get put in this position. It's like, oh, uh, I, I guess I didn't see that one coming. But uh, the fact that Dana Dimmel was not tendered a contract extension, was that almost like, a, OK, well, hey, some guys got to go to show that I'm making changes because I want to stick around here. Yep, I agree 100%. And, I and I've been totally upfront about this. This is almost like a prove-it year for Dana Dimmel, entering year four of his five-year guaranteed deal. UTEP is, is kind of taking a new direction after maybe misfiring on both ends of their two major sports in men's basketball and football. I mean, Rodney Terry, the men's basketball coach, leaves for a UT assistant job, and you saw UTEP get a great batch of candidates who wanted to become that new head coach at a basketball, it kind of makes everybody a little interested in what that candidate pool would look like if they made a coaching change at a football. And I'm not saying we're there yet. I'm not saying that UTEP is, is leaning toward that at all after year four, because you have to take into account finances. Dana Dimmel's being, you know, being paid uh, 700,000 a year. So you have to think about that when you kind of um, decide on whether or not to move on from a coach. But I will say this, UTEP sold out their premium seats. They're getting money from donors in, in different ways now. And who knows, maybe they are aggressive in that kind of sense if they don't feel like they get the, you know, the, 
the production that they want from their head coach and Dana Dimmel. Maybe they feel aggressive and, and want to move on from him. But maybe on the other side, Dana Dimmel proves everybody wrong, gets to a bowl game this year, wins six games, and turns this program around. He's been talking about progress, talking about the growth of this team for years now. And I think this is the most talented roster he's had by far over the past years. And I, I look at the I look at, you know, eleven starters coming back on offense. You've got eight returning starters on defense. Where's the there's no excuse for this year. And I think that everybody has to just hold this, you know, hold them accountable for that. And I think that if UTEP was able to rise to the test, if they were able to prove everybody wrong and, you know, win five, six games this year, show that improvement after this past year of 2020, then he's warranted that contract extension. Then, you know, Jim Center would say, okay, well, you know, I, I agree. I think, you know, Dana Dimmel can stay here at UTEP and uh, be willing to, to offer him more years here. Appreciate that uh, clarification there. And I shouldn't say clarification, but you expounding on that question there. Joe and I can can talk about it on later podcasts, but I just it was a move that I felt, you know, was was rather curious given the circumstances. So I appreciate you uh uh you know giving that answer, Joe, as I send it back to you to close this one up. <laughs> Eric, I like how you said we're breaking protocol, like we're protecting the president or something. I'm we're recording a college football podcast in my in-laws basement. It's not that serious, bro. <laughs> Joe, our <laughs> listeners, and listen, damn it, I Adrian. I get the feedback, okay? Our listeners have become <laughs> accustomed to a way of us doing things. And uh, whenever whenever we we break the protocol, one of us hears about it, okay? So uh, I, I apologize for you know the, the level of seriousness in my voice and my verbiage that I that I use this uh, to get to solicit one last question, but I guarantee you that there will be a particular <laughs> listener <laughs> who will who will DM me uh, uh asking about that. So uh, there you go, Joe. <laughs> fair enough i love it uh, i love it <laughs> <laughs> all right adrian really can't thank you enough for your time this morning uh talking some utep football with us uh thank you to everyone who listened as well if you haven't already go ahead and subscribe on apple podcasts and uh, if you want to follow our guest today it's at adrian uh brought us on twitter and then uh, we're at Joe Hio underscore on Twitter and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty as well for more G5 football coverage as we get closer to a hopefully, knock on wood, COVID-free 2021 football season. Happy football watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your week.